I can't say that there's any more powerful, destructive, explosive, contagious thing than the love of God. It is the most damaging weapon to the enemy and everything he has for you than the love of God. Everything in this world is designed to teach you that you're by yourself and that you're alone and that you're exposed and the world is full of things that don't represent God at all. And incidentally, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So if God's will is always done, what need does he have of us to pray for? It? <laughs> the truth is, this is a rogue planet. <laughs> Can I put it that way? Maybe this is a rogue creation, rogue universe. For all I know, this is our, our home, the whole place. And it's, God is working with the will of his creation to restore it. But this is a rogue world. You know, we share space with people that don't walk in love. Anybody notice that? <laughs> we share space with people that don't treat you nice. I don't need to, there's, you, you have your own evidence of that, right? And I would say that America is probably the most tolerable place on the earth to live. You can still find the nasty in people. You can still find the ungrateful and the complainers. You can still find the violent. It's because it's, it's in each and every person ever born. And that's what Paul was saying in Romans. He says, the good that I, I know I should do, I can't do it. That's the plight of every person. I know what's good for me, I just can't do it. And God understood the plight that we were in. That's why God gave the law. He didn't give the law because he expected them to keep it. He gave the law to point out you can't keep it. He gave the law for the precise purpose. The law, essentially, okay, basically the law is the Ten Commandments, okay? It's, it's the same law that basically you'll find in the rest of the world. You can't kill somebody and not be punished. You can't steal something and not be punished. Don't do that. In fact, all law is, is specifically derived to contain, it is meant to contain that nature on the inside of people that wouldn't do right by you otherwise. <clears throat> people say, well, you can't legislate morality. I beg to differ. I'm, in fact, that's all we do is legislate morality. God forbid we don't. Because the day we stop legislating morality is the day you have chaos. Somebody come take your stuff. <clears throat> I'm not going down that road very far. <laughs> but that's what the law is designed to do is to keep you safe from the greed in somebody else. The law is designed to keep you safe from the violence in somebody else. Maybe somebody does have a mind to kill you. You know what they're going to... You know, I'm going to kill you, except I don't want to go to jail for the rest of my life. I'm going to kill you, except I don't want to suffer the death penalty. <laughs> That's what the law is for. The law is intended to keep you safe. 
and God gave the law through Moses, don't kill, don't steal, don't go take your neighbor's wife just because you're stronger and you're bigger and, you're, and you've got more money doesn't mean you can just come in and take everything away from that guy. That's what God set the law in order to do. Don't do this, don't do that. And he gave it to them specifically. And then he, everything that was put in place as far as a sacrificial code, offer the lamb, offer this, in atonement for what you have done wrong, as a shadow and a type of what Jesus would come to do for each and every person. So when somebody would make a state, they would take their favorite lamb, the one that was perfect, the one that was without spot or blemish, and they would have to go offer it. See, as a picture of what Jesus would come to do for you, because as much as you would like to, and as much as our culture likes to believe that we're heading somewhere, you're not going to escape the death that's on inside of you. You don't have the power. You cannot, and that's, we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history and evidence to prove this point that man is death at his core. You, you, th you think you live in a special time of history? You know, this is, the, I'm sure the Romans did as well. They're not here anymore. <laughs> Every great civilization, they think they're at the peak of existence and then they fall down and crumble in in, in gluttony and in every kind of vice and then they break themselves apart because the flesh, you cannot, you cannot take what is inherently death and train it up and make it a better thing. So, I'll give you an example. You know, I had a wonderful bird dog. He was, his name was Toby and he was super hyper. You ever have one of those super hyper dogs, you know? You, he, he comes up on somebody, he's just gonna, you know he's gonna jump on him. You know, he's just... <laughs> he was super hyper and he at his core at his core he was a bird dog I see a bird I'm going to kill it I don't care what you say you know now I tried to enforce law on him all right the law you can think of it this way the law is the leash <laughs> you know and and I had him by the leash and I was holding him back but boy, every time we passed that cage of chickens that dad had, uh, and uh, <laughs> every time we'd pass that cage of chickens, he would walk on his back feet and, you know, practically strangle himself trying to claw those chickens, you know. Because on the inside of him, I need to hunt those chickens. I got to kill them. <laughs> and uh, when I was with him, when I was with him, my presence carried the weight of authority, you know. There was law there, and he understood. I know that guy. He doesn't want me to kill those chickens. Man, I really want to kill those chickens, though. <laughs> but, but every time I was with him, he feared me more than he wanted to do the other thing. <laughs> he feared me more than the thing I wanted. So <laughs> this is what humanity is like. The law creates fear. The law creates fear in somebody against that time where, man, I'm really tempted just to steal that hundred bucks out of that guy's wallet. <laughs> you know? The law creates fear. It creates consequence. One of the worst things you can do for somebody is to remove consequence from their choices. One of the worst things. People think they're helping them. They're not. 
you, you think you're going to help somebody by bailing them out of a choice. You're not. In fact, what you are probably doing if they're at an accountable age is crippling them. What you're doing is setting themselves up to make a worse choice, to make another mistake. See. And that's what, unfortunately, our laws are tending towards that kind of morality. Well, we'll, we'll bail you out. We'll put you in the system. Oh, is that how that works? And then in your flesh, in your greed, well, if that's, I don't really have to try very hard, I guess. <laughs> you know, you are training, you're training people that way. Somebody makes a mistake, they need to understand the consequence. Now, that doesn't mean you don't walk in forgiveness. That doesn't mean you don't walk in forgiveness. Do you know the, let me put it to you this way. If I, I'll put it in terms of me. If I cheated on Natalie, if I had an affair, you know the, the word of God tells her that she has to forgive me. Oh, But do you know what the word of God also says? It says she can divorce me if she wants. Wait, I thought I was forgiven. Yeah, you're forgiven. But you're not trusted. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're forgiven. That's not the issue here. But there is a consequence. There is a consequence. Let's see. And every decision you make, do you understand? God will forgive you. He will forgive you. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to bail you out. <laughs> and sometimes there's a price you have to pay to bail yourself out. And it's okay with God if you pay it. It's okay with God if you pay it. <clears throat> you know, if you, let me put it, if you go on a spending spree and then say, oh God, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I should not have spent all that money. I'm $3,000 in debt. I don't make that much. <laughs> Maybe it's three. Maybe it's 30. I don't know. <laughs> credit cards. I just burned through my credit cards. Would you... Please, just please, come help me and pay it off. Pay it off. I, I'm praying, Father, get me out of this hole. You know what? He will probably show you how to get out of that hole. But he will probably not reach in there and pull you out. Everybody with me? I'll leave him to judge that. But I'm just telling you, it is worse for him Everybody say worse. worse. For you, it's worse for me. It's worse for you if he were to train you and say, yeah, I'll bail you out of there. And like some rich dad that don't really care just tries to get you out of his face. Here you go. Go away. Does he have the power? Let's see, he wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. See, And there are things in life where we make the choice. It's my decision. It's not God's will. It's not the devil's fault. It's my fault. My fault. <laughs> See, the devil, he can't really do anything to you. He, what he has is the authority that you give him. What he has is, and, and specifically, let me talk to Christians, because it's Christians, they have authority over the devil. All the devil can come to you and do is offer you something you already want. See, all he can come and do is tempt you. He tempts you with things. So 
And this is what Jesus meant when he said, the devil comes, but he cannot find anything in me. In other words, there was no part of Jesus, spirit, soul, or body in his emotions, in his will, that was not 100% under his own personal control. There was nothing, no vice, no temptation that the devil could offer him and get him to, through that temptation, serve him, serve the devil. You know, and, and the devil came three times in that one temptation. Now, he came back again. Don't get me wrong, okay? But he came in that temptation, and he flat out offered Jesus. He says, I'll give you everything I've built here. This whole planet, I'll give it to you. Everything you came back for, you can have it. The only condition is, you know, you can skip the cross, you can skip the pain, you can skip all of that, that, you know, and you know these Jews don't really like you anyway, say. So why don't you just bypass all that and you'll gain all the nations of the world. The only thing you got to do is just bow down and, and submit to me once. That's it. We'll, we'll be done. That's the easier price. See? And just because it is the road of least resistance doesn't mean it's the right road to take. See? And we have been taught that following God usually means taking the easiest road. Following God a lot of times means kicking down all of the things in your heart that don't want to be exposed. I had these over-spiritual friends a lot of times. <laughs> Anybody have a, an over-spiritual friend? And, and truly, in the truest sense of the word, you cannot be over-spiritual. Right? But I say that to, to paint a picture. And what I mean by that is they were disconnected from their, their reality far enough that everything that would happen to them, they would interpret it as God. Everything that came down the pike, they would. And instead of looking to the word for who God is, every situation they came to them started to frame who God was to them. And the devil has a field day with those kind of people. Teaches them all kinds of things. And you'll start seeing signs. <laughs> you'll start seeing things you think are God. And one of the worst ways you can be led by God is to look for him in your circumstances. The circumstances are where the enemy works. There's so little. Everybody say little. See. There are so little of what God wants to do being done in this earth. It is largely ruled by the flesh nature of people, by the sin nature of people. And the church who ha he has called and given him his, given the church's word, he is trying to grow the church up into a entity and into a body that is not ruled and governed by the flesh like the world is. Because even though you're born again, you still have to contend with all of those things that you can be tempted by. See, So the first step that Jesus took when he paid that price, he loosed you from the law of sin and death. In fact, Paul says at one time, he says, you have not been made or you have you're not subject again to the bondage of fear. Okay. But you have been made the children of God. All right. Let's go to 
we, we might come back to Luke. Let's go to Romans real quick. Romans, uh, I think it's chapter 8. Remember what we were talking about? You know, my, my bird dog, every time he was with me, it was his fear of me that kept him restrained. Everybody see that law? It was his fear of me that kept him in check. There was one time he got out. <laughs> he got out and I was not with him and there was no fear to check his nature. Okay. And in the law, you can read the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Not the end, it's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Why the fear of the Lord? Because how I see things, even though I know I'm not supposed to do them, in my heart I truly want to do them. Therefore I will, and in the Old Testament, I will fear you, God. I will fear you. It's the beginning of wisdom. Why is it the beginning of wisdom? Because the fear of the Lord is what brought the correction in their actions. See, it is the source of that. If I don't do what he says, I'm going to have to answer to him. And I don't really want to do that. See, so that fear brought correction in the lives of the people. And even, you know, it talks about in the Old Testament, they would keep the law continually before their face and meditate on it day and night to put that law into their heart so that they would not walk according to the lusts of their own flesh. They would not walk in violence. They would not walk in lust and deceit and adultery and every kind of sinful behavior because they would put that law in their mind and they would restrain their flesh. So that's what the law did. It was not, it doesn't perfect you. It doesn't make you better. It just puts fear in you to keep you from doing what's wrong. You're not going to go kill that neighbor because they said those things about you. <laughs> But what Jesus, now look here. Uh, we'll start in Romans 7 and build, okay? Now, Romans 7, this is very important, okay? Read through Romans. If you meditate on Romans, Romans 7, every time I hear this out of a Christian's mouth, even other pastors, they identify with Romans 7 as though that is them now. It's not. Romans chapter 7, Paul is speaking hypothetically as a Jew under the law that is not born again. That is not you, okay? He is putting himself in the position of every Jew, every person that ever had to be under a law and says, with my mind, I know that's good, but with my heart, I don't find what it is. I can't do it. Why can't I do it? That's what the law was sent to do was to bring that problem. Okay. The law was supposed to be that schoolmaster that every time you made a mistake, you, you know, the law would wrap your knuckles and say, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Okay. I do the same thing with my kids to keep them from danger. <laughs> you know what? I'd rather have them obedient than run out in front of a car. Amen. All right. Now look here. Now, we'll start in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, okay? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. In other words, it was the law that showed me my sin. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, 
wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What he's saying there plainly, there was a time where we didn't live under law. You know, and even Paul and every child, there's a time where you, if you were without the law, he says, if I didn't know what was wrong to covet, I would have thought coveting was natural. Do you know what? The world thinks coveting is natural, but the law says don't. And so he says, I was alive and I was fully fine without the law at one time. And you can look pre-law in the Old Testament, you know, (laughs) why is it that Cain, his nature was to kill? Who taught him to do that? It was the sin nature that was on the inside of him. See, So that law of sin inside of you, okay, the commandment which was ordained to life, I found it to be death. Now, is he speaking as a Christian here? He's not. He's speaking as somebody under the law. Okay, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear to me as sin, working death in me by that which is good. In other words, it's good not to go kill somebody just because you're mad at them. Okay? Just because just there's enough anger in you to go do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. But it feels natural. Okay? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual. Okay, he's talking about the Old Testament law. It is a spiritual commandment. But I am carnal, sold under sin. Now let me ask you a question. If you're born again, are you carnal and sold under sin? Are you sold? This is not a trick question. If you are born again, are you sold under sin? Or did Jesus buy you back? Jesus bought us back. See, But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which would, okay. If then I do that which I would not do, I consent unto the law that it is good. In other words, he's saying here, I recognize that what the law is telling me to do is right. I just don't really feel like it. (laughs) Anybody ever had that feeling? I understand that I shouldn't do that, but I don't really care. <laughs> okay. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay. So what he's saying here, he is not talking about you Christians. He's talking about you unbelievers that when the law came, there was, I understand that that's a good law, but I don't want to do it. All right. This is that same thing Jesus was saying. He says, you'll pull out specks in other people's eye, but you have a beam in your own. <laughs> you know, these people that, oh, I can't. I can't go down that road. Um, let me just put it this way. There's a lot of judgment in this country. And what they really need to do is look at themselves. <clears throat> now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find it not. For the good that I would, I do not do it. But the evil which I would not do, I end up doing it. 
This was the conundrum of people under the law. And Jesus even put, took it a step further to reveal their sin to them when he says, I'll tell you what, even if you don't, let's say this, let's say you don't actually commit adultery with somebody else. If, you're, if your heart is there to do it, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And he said that to show them, look, on the inside, you're just as destitute as the rest of the world. It's just the law keeping you restrained. Because you're not a good person, really. Okay, that's what Jesus was saying to him. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not do, I end up doing it. This is not talking about somebody that's born again. You'll see it very plainly here. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but there's sin dwelling in me. It's a nature, okay? I find then a law. Everybody say a law. law. That, and he's not necessarily, he's not talking about the law of the commandment in the Old Testament. He's talking about a law in you. And it is in every person, in every nation, in every country on this earth. Unless they have been born out of it. And the only way to be born out of it is to get a different law put in there. You've got to have that law of sin taken out and you have to have his law of righteousness put in. You don't know what good is because you were born bad. Okay? If you have not received Christ, there is no other door by which you can be saved. See? I find then a law, the law of sin in me, that when I would do good, evil's present with me. For I delight in the law of God that he gave me after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. In other words, when they receive the law that says don't sin, don't commit adultery, don't, uh, don't take people's stuff, when they got that law, it came to their mind, did it not? It, they kept the law before their mind, but it was not in their heart. And that's what that prophecy in the Old Testament was prophesying. There's going to come a day where I'm going to... There, They will not teach every man his neighbor and every man his friend, but I'm going to write my law on their heart. It's not going to be stone tablets. It's going to be inside. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. Now, if you're born again, are you captive or are you free? But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And it brings me into captivity to the law of sin. If you're a captive of the law of sin, you need Christ. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he, in this position as a Jew that he's walking everybody through in this argument, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Now, is he just shouting that out to the universe or did somebody actually come and deliver us? He answers the question. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, this is the answer. If you want a better culture, if you want a better society, you don't need better laws. You need to put the law of life in them. See, you can get rid of abortion and you can get rid of all kinds of things on the outside. People are still going to go do it in the dark. But what you need is you need a law in their heart that when there's evil all around them, they says, I'm not going to take part in this. See, and it ought to be that wherever you go, you're not being shaped by culture. You ought to be shaping culture. You ought to be turning things forward to the kingdom of God, not being absorbed into the darkness. See, So that they that are in the, okay. 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind, okay, this is that hypothetical guy under the law. With my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. But look at this verse 1. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after that flesh. But how do we walk now? But walk not after that flesh. See? For the law of the, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. When he, when he prays that question out and, and he says, oh, wretched man, who's going to deliver me from this? I thank God through Jesus Christ for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Inside each and every person that is not born again, they have a law of sin and death that they desperately need taken out. And they need the law of life that walks in righteousness that no matter what. If the law wasn't here to restrain the death nature, people would have anarchy. But if people are born again, if people are born again, there is a law inside that says, I will not do that. That is wrong. Okay? And it is your conscience that speaks up into your... <clears throat> How can I... The Holy Spirit, you have a spirit on the inside of you. And it is this spirit that was created in righteousness and true holiness. And it is where the Holy Spirit, God himself, you have your own spirit, but the Holy Spirit resides in that spirit. Okay. He resides in that spirit that has been born from above. Because Jesus said it to his disciples this way. You know him, the Holy Spirit. For he has been with you, but in that day, he's going to be in you. And if you have received the law of life, the Holy Spirit will witness with your spirit the truth. He will bear witness with the truth. There have been times where I was asked to go to a movie. And there's nothing wrong with going to a movie. Now, my mind and my own spirit, doesn't, it doesn't know everything, but the Holy Spirit does. And I have had the Holy Spirit check me, and he says, look, you don't know it yet, but that movie is trash. And all you're going to have to do is endure it, and you're going to have a bunch of thoughts that are just going to plague your mind from it. Don't go see it. Are you always obedient when he says stuff like that? <laughs> Not always. I'm getting better, and he's always been right, okay? But there are times where he will, he will speak to your spirit. That's not a good idea. Why, why isn't it a good idea? <laughs> and then you go into, oh, I see why it's not a good idea. Okay. <clears throat> he, he, how do I put that? He gives you space to make mistakes. He does. He doesn't force you. He doesn't make you do anything. He leads you. He guides you. He lets you learn he also lets you pay the consequences. <clears throat> For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, what can't it do? In that it was weak through your flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. See, people are people the world over. You go 
Every culture deals with the same death nature. Every single one that has to be restrained by law. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh they can only mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now typically what you think about And there is a carnal mind that you can have as a believer, all right? But what he's saying there, what he's saying there really, somebody that's born, somebody that is not born again, that does not have a law of life, that doesn't understand what it means to walk in love with his neighbor, it doesn't come naturally. They have, if they are born of the flesh, they are carnally minded, they cannot understand the things of God. They cannot. The only message that somebody that is not born again can receive is you need to be changed. You need Jesus. That's, you have no business teaching people that ha- are not born again the higher things of God. They don't understand them. They don't receive them. They need Jesus. See, No sense in talking about tongues or the gifts of the Spirit with the people that don't believe in God. They need Jesus. Okay. Now those things are meant to win the lost. But, but they need Jesus, okay? For to be carnally minded is death. In other words, if you have, if your mind is after the flesh, you're gonna produce death. Let me just put this in a simple picture. If your flesh cannot be restrained, well, let me tell you what my flesh wants. It wants that gallon of ice cream every night, okay? It doesn't care how bad it felt the last time. It, for whatever reason, it doesn't learn, it's, doesn't learn anything, okay? It still wants it, all right? If you did not restrain that flesh, it would kill you. And this is the cry of this generation is the laws that they want in this country. If it feels good, let's do it. Let's just, let's match up our laws with what feels good. Let's match up our morality. And really what we're establishing in our countries is a law that does not keep what is good, but a law that keeps the flesh happy. And if you establish laws that keep the flesh happy, all you need to do, we're not more advanced, we're not any better than Rome. Take a look at Rome. They're not here anymore. If you keep going down that path, you, we won't be here anymore either. It's a quick road to destruction. I, I love America, but America is what we make it. And if it's not what it used to be, then it's not what it used to be. And I have no allegiance with what it is now necessarily. Everybody with me? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God. All those thousands of years of beating it into their head that doesn't train or change the flesh. It can't be subject to the law of God neither can it be. So they that are in the flesh they they have no possibility of pleasing God. But you, everybody say me. But you that are but you are not in the flesh. You are not that guy in Romans 7. You are the guy in Romans 8. You're not that old wretch who's going to deliver me. You have been delivered, see? But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, look at what the Bible says. He's not his. All right. Now, All this to get to this verse down here. Come on down. Verse 13. 
For if you live after the flesh, <laughs> he doesn't mince words, you're going to die. You'll just plainly die. You, you know, in, in Proverbs, it says it this way. You're not going to have anybody to blame but yourself for your own destruction. See, if you follow your flesh, it's your own fault. You, it's your own destruction. You cannot, this is a more benign thing, you cannot eat a gallon of ice cream every night and let your flesh have what it wants. It's going to kill you, okay? It's going to kill you. You cannot follow your flesh into what is good. It will kill you. And, and this is what, you may make your flesh happy, but you yourself are going to die. And there's a lot of people that they live for their flesh and they, they're going to reap the fruit. You can, you're not going to mock God. You made choices for the flesh. Here's the consequences, okay? Was it God's will? No, it's not God's will. Was it some part of a divine plan? No, it's not part of any divine plan. It's choices you made. That's it. For you have not received, now, okay. For if you live after the flesh, you're gonna die. But if you through the spirit, mortify, everybody say mortify. If you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And he's not just talking about natural life. It's not just talking about even eternal existence. It's talking about being sustained by the living God who breathed life into you in the first place. Because everybody's going to have an eternal existence. Existence isn't life. Life is knowing him who gave you life. Life is being sustained by him who is the source of life. Existence does not constitute life. Okay? It's not just talking about one day everybody's going to physically die. The question is, are you spiritually dead? Are you going to exist spiritually dead forever? Is that what you want? You have this lifetime to make a choice. For you have not received, okay, here we go. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live after the spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the body, you're going to live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. What is the converse of that statement? If you are not led by the Spirit of God, you are not the Son of God or the daughter of God. Because those that are born of Him have His nature. Those that are born of Him produce righteousness, produce peace, produce love, produce joy. They are the salt and the preserving agent of this planet. The reason why it's not gone to hell in a handbasket already is because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. See, and if there is not a preserving agent left on this planet, you can look at the old world and Noah. Noah was the only one who preached righteousness. The reason God had to destroy that world was not for judgment, but for mercy. Because to let that continue, every single generation and children growing up into death, into death, into death, he had to stop it. He had to stop it. You, we look through the perspective of people, but you don't have God's perspective. See, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now look at this, what he says here. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Why is the fear of the God beginning of wisdom? Because his law to me was more frightening than the evil thing I wanted to do. So it kept me from the evil. See, but you, but I, everybody say but I. See, 
<clears throat> we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. What is that spirit of bondage again to fear? That, in, in another place when he was writing to the Gentiles, he says, you have, not be, you have not received the spirit of the world. Okay, Here he says to the Jews in Rome, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit of the world is lawlessness. What, do, what feels good, I'll do it. That's the lawlessness, see? But the spirit of bondage again to fear, he specifically phrased that for Jews who were in bondage under the law that feared its consequences, see? And he says it this way. He says, you have not received it. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you, and this is me, and everybody here within the sound of my voice that are led by the spirit of God, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have, respe you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God is my Father. He is the Father of the Spirit that's on the inside of me. He is the Father of the good. He is the Father of the love. He is the Father of the joy. He is the Father of the peace. Every good thing that I have, I didn't get it from the world. I got it from Him. See, The Spirit itself talking about the Holy Spirit now, bears witness with your own spirit that you are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now look here. You know, now he doesn't outline a problem and not give a solution. Look at this. When he says in verse 13, he says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now see, those that are lawless that are of the world, they have no way to mortify. They have no spirit of life in Christ Jesus to put the sin, the sin to death. Okay? Now look here. Look here in verse 23. Mm, let's skip down. Let's, let, let's skip down to verse 26 instead. Now he just got through saying the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're the child of God. Okay? That's the first thing he does is the Holy Spirit... When, when you got born again, you were a candidate for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit filled your spirit and he bore witness with you. How did he bear witness with you? You received that infilling, that unction, and you spoke in that language that came from God. If you look in Acts, when they got baptized, they instantly were filled with the Spirit a lot of times and they started speaking with other tongues. Okay, now it says here that the Holy Spirit comes to bear witness. How does he bear witness to this? How does he bear witness to the fact that you are born a child of God? He comes to fill your vessel and he comes to, when he comes with that witness of other tongues, he is giving you the witness that you are his child. Something that is in you now was not in you before. I am no longer See, because when you get born again, you look in the mirror and your face is the same, <laughs> you know. The, everything looks the same. You live in the same house, but it's an inward change. There was a law removed from you, just as supernatural as raising the physical dead. The Holy Ghost takes the life, which was death, and takes it out and puts new life, which is his life, in the inside of you. Okay. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, the Spirit itself will bear witness with your spirit that you are children of God. Now look here in verse 26. He adds another thing. He says, likewise the Spirit also. See? So you see that when he says also. When you say also, you mean I'm doing one thing and I'm also 
doing another thing. See, so even though he spanned about nine verses here, he says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. And then verse 26, he's still continuing that thought. And he says, likewise, the Holy Spirit also, he also does this. He not only bears witness that you're a child of God, he also helps your weaknesses, your infirmities, okay? Now, verse 13, it says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit, if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. How do we go about mortifying the deeds of the body? Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helps your weaknesses or your infirmities. He's not necessarily talking about sicknesses or diseases. He's talking about weaknesses in that when you got born again, yes, I received the spirit of life on the inside of me. I've been made free from sin. But anybody ever sin after they got born again? Yes, yes. And, and, and so there are things in your flesh that are trained up from the old life that have to be put to death. They cannot, con even though there's a new king sitting on the throne inside, he's trying to conquer all of those rogue parts of you that remember the old king. <laughs> he's got to put those things to death. See, there's a new king on the inside that lives in your heart and he reigns in righteousness and true holiness. See, and he's wanting to remove and eradicate every single thing in your heart that is stealing life from you that is producing death that's keeping you in bondage okay <clears throat> this is why the holy spirit came he came for this, specifically for this purpose to bear witness that you're his children and in verse 26 he also helps your weaknesses for we now look at how he helps Okay, so he not only tells you, here's the problem. The problem is you're born again, but you still have weaknesses. What's the solution? I have given you the Holy Ghost. I have given you the Holy Ghost to help with your weaknesses. And you know, sometimes you don't know how to pray as you should or as you ought. But the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So every day when I spend my prayer time speaking in other tongues, I am allowing him to bear witness with my spirit that he's my, that he's my father. But I'm also allowing him to pray for my weaknesses. What does it mean when it says, for we know that, for we know not what we should pray for as we are. Well, if I don't know what I need to pray for, how am I going to give it a prayer? How am I going to speak it? How am I going to, what kind of prayer do I need to phrase in English to say what I need to say? The Holy Ghost knows a prayer and he's willing to pray for you. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What's he talking about there? <laughs> and he searches the heart and knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Every time you sit down and you purpose to pray in other tongues, what you are doing is you're giving the Holy Spirit authority. The authority that Jesus gave you, the authority that from the very beginning that God said, let them have dominion. And God gave you his Holy Spirit. And every time you purpose to pray, every time you purpose to pray, you are giving him, I give you authority to pray out what I don't understand. I give you authority for, to pray out God's will for my life. 
And there have been many instances where all I knew what to do was to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. My mind, I didn't know where I was going, but I prayed in the Spirit, and I prayed in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was moving me out of who I used to be and into who I am now. One of the best evidences of that is me standing up here, right here in front of you. I could not do this eight years ago. <laughs> or, or rather, I was afraid to do it. I didn't believe I could do it. Do you know the Holy Ghost doesn't care what you're afraid of? He'll change it. He'll, it doesn't matter if you think. <laughs> he has a tremendous calling for you. And what's impossible to you, <laughs> it's not what's impossible to him. See, And if you will let him redefine to you what is possible, he will, he'll take you on a tremendous ride. He really will. Because there's nothing impossible to him. And maybe there was something in you. I, I know that God has a gift and a calling on every single person here. But do you know the enemy and the world and the devil is intent on putting it out? He is intent on squashing it. In fact, most people think their callings are weaknesses because they get so persecuted for them. God wants to pull you out of your cocoon, pull you out of your shell, and make you into the person you were always supposed to be, but the world told you you weren't. See, How do you go from point A to point B? How do you get there? The Spirit also helps our weaknesses because we don't always know how to go from point A to point B, but He does, okay? And if He searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and He'll make intercession for you. What you're doing when you're praying in the Spirit, you are allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to pray to God the Father for change. Is that a not a good prayer to pray, I would think? When it's God who inspires the prayer and it's God who gets to answer it, it's pretty foolproof. It's pretty foolproof because you could pray a prayer that's wrong and say, well, you know, God, I would like a million dollars. You know, I would like a million dollars because, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, you can pay, a, you know, there's prayers you pray that are in accordance with your own flesh that God's not going to answer. You're restricted by your own understanding. But you know what? When you pray in the spirit, you're restricted by his understanding. And there's no restriction on, on that. So when you're spending time, when, he, when he's doing this, he came to help the weaknesses that you cannot help yourself. It is an act of humility to sit there and pray, not know what you're praying about, but say, I trust you, Father, that you're praying for me. Let's see. He searches the heart and knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He makes intercession for the saints according to God's will. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but... You know, there's a little bit of your will sometimes mixed in in your prayers. <laughs> and God will do with that what he can. Yeah. All right? But when it's your will, it's not always right. When it's your will, it's not always what's best. Anybody ever tried to do your will and have God bless it? Hey, I want to do this. Come bless it for me. <laughs> he, he, you know, my little girl, <laughs> she'll, she'll come up to me. And she's, she's just one, so she can do this. She'll come walk right up to me, and she'll grab my finger, and then she'll start dragging me around anywhere she wants. <laughs> and it's the cutest thing. I just love it, you know. <laughs> she'll come up and she'll, we're going this way. I don't know why. We're just going this way. <laughs> I don't have a plan. I'm just going this way. <laughs> I don't know where this leads. I'm just going this way, you know. And, and God will do that with little kids in the spirit. I'm going to go do this. All right. We'll do that. We'll do that. But do you know, 
I don't let my boys do that. <laughs> Not because they're boys, but because they're, they're more accountable. They're more grown up. Saying if, and if Josh gets too bossy with me and starts telling me, hey, we're going to go do this. No, I can't do that right now. <laughs> Sometimes he'll get real brass and he'll say, well, I don't care what you say. <clears throat> what? What did you say? <clears throat> what? <laughs> what did you say? Because <laughs> he needs that. <laughs> what was it the other day? Anyway, I'm not going to bring that up. <laughs> well, I, well, Natalie told me that uh, <laughs> we found Joshua fighting with Grandma. Fighting with Grandma, trying to pull a chair away from her because he didn't want Josh. Josh didn't want Mom to use that chair. My mom. Who are you? You're not in charge. You're not, you're not boss here. You let kids be boss, it'll be chaos. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> not yet. See, and there is, a, there is a certain amount of accountability that God will start to demand of you. And, and you may lead him around by the finger while you're young, but when you're getting older, you need to understand that it's his will you need to learn from. You've had plenty of time learning from your own will. It doesn't, it's not producing anything. It's his will that produces things. See? When he prays in the spirit for you, he's praying in accordance with his mind, not yours. And look at this, verse 28. This is a wonderful verse. People put it on plaques. People post it on Facebook. They, they take the power away from it because they don't put the other two verses in front of it. And they say, we know that all things, everything just works together somehow because they, they just jerk this verse out of context, completely out of its setting, out of its root, out of the power that's in it. And they say, well, we know, you know, they'll, and they'll, they'll call God, we know God's working everything together for good because God loves us, you know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them that are called according to his purpose. We just know that it, don't worry. So-and-so died. He died of a, a, a terrible illness. It was very painful, you say. Okay, we know God's working that for good. Yeah, it was terrible, but oh, he left four kids without a mom. Oh, okay, well, God's got a plan in that. <clears throat> the plan God has for it is restoration. You can look at what God's plan for it was because he says, I've anointed Jesus of Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of God, oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So don't you tell me that everything that happens in this life is God. It's not. Everything that happens in this life is mostly the devil unless you stumble across somebody that's doing his will or unless you are somebody that's doing his will. That is the light and the salt in this planet. That's what's keeping it alive. That's what's keeping it from going into utter darkness. It's almost gone there several times and God took it out. If you want to have claim on this verse that we know, if you want to say, I know that everything's working together for good, then you have to let the Holy Spirit make intercession for you according to his will. You have to let him search your heart. You have to let him expose those things and put to death the things that are stealing from you. You can't keep living quesarasara, eat a gallon of ice cream and go watch an adulterous flick and expect God to work that out for some good. That's nuts. The Spirit helps our weaknesses. And when he helps them, how he helps them, he makes intercession with groanings that can't be uttered. He searches our hearts 
according to the will of God. And that's how you know that everything will work out together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a powerful picture to know that with you and the Holy Ghost, everything's going to work out. But if you think it's just you, you're, you're in for a surprise. One of the worst lies religion has taught the church is they have attributed the works of the devil the devil to God my father he's trying to get rid of him he's not trying to take credit for him it'd be enough if the world was telling you that but you go and sit in church and your pastor tells you that what ally do you have in this world devil's coming after you and apparently God is too And if God gave you sickness, why are you trying to fight it with medicine? Religion will make you stupid. The Holy, Holy Spirit came to teach you. Amen. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for your Thank you for your spirit. You accounted for everything. You didn't leave anything to chance. You knew exactly what the problem was and you gave us a perfect solution. You saw our plight in that we were restrained by sin and you gave us deliverance out of it through Jesus Christ. And you even saw that even that we were going to have weaknesses and you gave us your you didn't give us an angel. You didn't even just leave us with the Bible, even though you did give us the word of God. But you also sent a teacher. We not only have your word, but we have a teacher. We have the Holy Spirit, who's not only taught to teach us, but is taught to lead us and guide us into all truth. But he also helps to pray for those weak places where we don't know how to pray as we should. Father, I ask you for bringing revelation to each and every person here, right where they're at. I thank you for light bulbs to go on in their heart and in their mind to take steps forward into you, forward into your will, forward into more of what you have for them, what is really life and what is really good. Father, we thank you for your truth. And we ask you that this message not remain another message, but that you establish it in our hearts and in our minds, that it not remain just theory, but when we go home, we are going to spend time with your spirit. We are going to let you teach us. And we are going to let you pray for us. And I thank you, Father, that we, Great Commission Church, we are going to be a church that can claim everything's working out for good because we love God and we are called according to his purposes.